Good morning, FCF. Um, good to be back with you, and we're continuing in our series called The Pathway to Wholeness. And I want to start today by sharing a phrase that I've been sharing uh, throughout this series with you, and it's this. It's not what happens to us, but it's what happens in us that determines the quality of our life. And by quality of our life, I'm talking about our our happiness quotient, our joy quotient, our fulfillment quotient, our meaning, meaningfulness quotient, and so forth. I want to start by introducing an individual to you today that is um, <clears throat> perhaps one of the saddest cases of an individual that we see in Scripture. And yet, as I unpack this, I think you're going to acknowledge that we've all seen people like this, not nearly as dramatic as this particular case. But I'm going to read to you from the uh, Gospel of Mark to start off with. And I'm reading in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, So they came to the other side of the lake, to the region of Gerasenes. Just as Jesus was getting out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came from the tombs and met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For his hands and feet had often been bound with chains and shackles, but he had torn the chains apart and broken the shackles in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Each night and every day among the tombs and in the mountains, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he bowed down before him. And I'll just pause there. I introduce this man to you because I want to suggest that he epitomizes the kind of person that each of us have seen perhaps the kind of person that each of us has been, or at least to some degree. You say, Randy, what are you talking about? This guy was demonized, you know. Uh, you don't see demonized people every day. Yes. But let's look at this guy from another perspective. Because of some forces that had taken control of him inside, his life outside was miserable. And even had his circumstances outside been ideal, the forces inside of him were so destructive that until they were rooted out, and by the way, when you read this passage, Jesus uh, rids this man of these demons and he's completely at peace. He goes from turmoil to peace and ends up being a follower of Jesus. It's an interesting depiction. It says that he was, he was alone. He was in the tombs. He was crying out day and night. He was hurting himself, gashing himself with stones. People were afraid of him. He was uncomfortable to be around. He was violent. He was dangerous. He was powerful and strong. He was, he was threatening, but he was also a terrible threat to himself. He was a tormented soul. He was, he was his own worst enemy. Now, I know that that's a very familiar phrase and idea to most of our minds. We have all known people that sometimes we just shake our head and we say, you know what, it wouldn't matter what was going on in that person's life, they are their own worst enemy. They'll be miserable no matter what. And let's be humble here. Perhaps we've all had seasons like that where the reality is we have been our own worst enemy. And it wouldn't matter if we would have had the most perfect circumstances imaginable. There were things going on inside of us that were creating such turmoil that until they were dealt with, until they were recognized, until they were removed, it would be impossible for us to have the quality of life that our Creator intends us to have. So, I want to start by just looking at this. Let's, let's try to examine the turmoil that 
goes on inside of any of us at any given time. The, the, the kind of inner tumult that, that can happen. Where, where does this come from, first of all? And I want to start by reading a verse from the New Testament book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Ephesus. So these are real followers of Christ. These are people that have put their trust in Christ. They are following Jesus. But listen to these words that the Apostle Paul says to them. He says in Ephesians 4.31, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Let me read it again. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Here were real Christ followers, and yet they still evidently had these issues in their lives. They, they still were dealing with bitterness. They still had problems with rage and anger and harsh words and slander. Let, let me define some of these things. Bitterness is an attitudinal problem. It, it, it's an attitude where I have become angry and I have nursed that anger and I have used my imagination to develop scenarios and I'm holding an ongoing grudge. I, 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 wanna, I wanna get some vengeance. I wanna get repaid. I want my, my dues. The word rage, well, it's obvious. It's, it's the explosion. When bitterness, bitterness is kind of a root and rage is kind of a fruit. You'll hear that term a lot in this message. Rage is just is what it is. You know, it just explodes out. The next one is harsh words. Or excuse me, the next one is anger. Rage, anger, they're very similar. And then from there, harsh words. Rage and anger often produce harsh words. The next one is slander. Slander is you are putting the worst construction on another human being. You are trying to find everything that you can to condemn them, to cut them to ribbons, to trim them down, uh, most of which may not be accurate, but at the moment you don't really care about it. You're out to hurt them. You're out to hurt them by depicting them in the worst conceivable light. You're looking at the worst part of them and magnifying it uh, to the highest degree. That's what slander does. And then it goes on to say, as well as all types of evil behavior. So these fruits follow this root of bitterness, and Paul had to write to these Christ followers, guys, you got to get rid of this. Now, here's my question to you. When you read that, when you read that the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul was telling these followers of Jesus, get rid of this stuff, how do you hear that? And my question is critical because depending upon how you and I hear this will depend upon the degree that we actually find ourselves capable of doing what it says, which is to rid ourselves of it. Notice, uh, you know, this is to real believers, and they're still struggling, evidently, with these attitudes. So how do you read that? When you hear that, do you hear it judicially or penally? Well, what, are you, what do I mean by that? Judicially meaning that God's ticked, He's angry. He's saying, you better get rid of that stuff. Uh, you, you don't get rid of that. I, I'm going to deal with you. I'm, I'm upset. Get rid of it. Is that how you hear it? If you hear it judicially or penally, I can promise you one thing. You will never make any progress in ridding yourself of this. What if you were to hear it in the context of an organic, design-based, parental-based voice? Meaning this that it's like 
the, the red light on the dashboard of your car, you know, when the red light of the dashboard goes on in your car saying that you're out of oil, uh, it's not threatening to punish you. You're, you're not going to be taken before the law. It's giving you a warning. Hey, you're, you're going to ruin your engine. Please stop. Rid yourself of this. Stop the car. Or it's like when you were to see, let's say you saw your little three-year-old child all of a sudden picking up a gasoline can and about to drink it. You would give a warning. Don't. Don't. Stop. Why are you warning? Are you angry? Are you going to punish the child? Or are you going to you know, judicially put the child in some kind of a uh, box that's you know going to put them in, in law or something no it, you're, you're trying to protect the child it's because you love the child you don't want to see the child damaged the red light goes on in the dashboard of our souls this is the red light these symptoms these are the red light on the dashboard of my soul your soul and it's a loving God saying when you see these things be careful because tremendous soul damage is coming and I love you. I don't want these things to continue to deprive you of life or to bring unnecessary hurt to you or to anybody else around you. It's critical how we hear that, folks, because I meet Christians all the time that their number one concern is this guy angry at me? You know, is he going to punish me? Is he going to stop blessing me? They think in terms of appeasing God, and that's problematic because it's indicative that if they trust God at all, their trust is, is very, very minimal, almost still at a superstitious level. And of course, that, that has to grow. So, why do we even have these attributes? Let, let's ask that. I mean, why, why is it that bitterness exists? Why does rage exist? Why does anger? Why do, why do harsh words exist? Why do people slander other people and all other types of evil behavior? Why does this kind of thing exist in this world we live in? And we hear it every day. It, it's kind of the air that we breathe in. Well, if you really want to take it back to its roots, the only way that this kind of behavior can exist is when human beings are not living united to their Creator. When human beings don't fully trust their Creator and don't fully abide by their Creator's will, these traits automatically will come into existence. And so, there's a day coming when only the will of God will be done throughout the entire universe forever and ever, and bitterness won't exist. I can go through this list. Rage will never exist. Anger will never exist. Harsh words won't exist. Slander won't exist. All types of other evil behavior will go away. These things only exist because something's wrong in the universe. Things are not the way they were meant to be. God's will has been pushed aside by angels and humans, and these are the results. That this is a natural process. When we break God's law, when we don't break His law, we get broken. We get broken individually. We get broken as a society. Think of the poor fellow that we started this talk out with, this, this poor guy who was so out of control because of forces at work inside of him that were slowly destroying him. And these things will slowly destroy you and I. Now, the, the interesting thing is this. It's not an unusual thing that when we encounter these traits in ourselves, okay, when, when we're the bitter person, we're the angry person, we're the person with rage, we're the person that's slandering, we're the person with harsh words, um, we may have a propensity or a tendency to justify ourselves, to say, you know, I've got every reason to think this way and behave this way and feel this way. We may know other people that, that will argue for the right Argue for the right. They're saying, well, you don't, you don't know me. You don't know what it feels like to be me. You don't know my conditions. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I've been through. 
I have every right to be bitter and rageful and angry and use harsh words and slander other people. If you knew what my life has been like or what my life is like, well, you'd understand that I have every right to feel this way. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's true enough. But folks, that's like you and I arguing, arguing, fighting for the right to carry around with us in our hands or in our pockets all day long, all night long, sleep with it in our pajama pocket or whatever, a piece of radioactive uranium. We're, we're arguing for the right to keep something close to us that is certainly, and it might be slowly, but it is certainly destroying us from the inside out. That's what radiation does. And that's what these traits do. A loving God is not angry. A loving God is not threatening punishment. A loving God is not disappointed. A loving God is saying to those that were his real children, they, these were real Christ followers, he's saying, guys, you know, I don't want to see this stuff continue to torment you and steal your peace and steal your joy. I want you to rid yourself of this now. Notice, he asks us to take action. I, me, you, we, we are to rid ourselves of it. But here's the great news. The Holy Spirit never asks us to rid ourselves of something or to do anything unless He intends to fully empower us to do it. This should cause us to celebrate when the Spirit of God says through the Word of God, get rid of something, that tells me I certainly am able to do this. I don't have to continue to live this way. I don't have to continue to be bitter. I don't have to continue to have rage or anger. I don't have to continue to have harsh words or slander or any of those things. I may be struggling with them now. They may be deep-rooted now, but God is telling me He wants to free me from these things because as long as these things are there, my pathway to wholeness is being blocked. These, these are toxic inner conditions that even if we had the best circumstances imaginable, we, we trick ourselves all the time. We, we convince ourselves, man, if only everything was different, if only that person in my life was different, if only that job was different, if only I had more money, if only I looked better, if only I were more talented, if only I were more intelligent, whatever it is, we trick ourselves. If only my spouse was nicer, if only, you know, my kids weren't so out of control, <laughs> you know, if only, if only, if only. Remember what I said, and you live long enough, we'll all discover this. It is not what happens around us that determines the quality of our life, our happiness, our joy. It is what is happening in us. And a loving God is telling us, He's inviting us, He's saying, you don't have to continue to live with these toxic, these toxic things going on inside of you. So, why is it then that we will often fight for the right to maintain these attitudes? Well, I think that sometimes people are just so they're so beaten down and they feel like they really don't know if they can get rid of these things. They've had these traits for so long, they're not sure that they would ever be able to get rid of them. So now they feel guilty with God. They feel like they're failing and they're a failure. And that makes them feel even worse. They feel bad enough having these out of control uh, you know, traits and now they're not sure they could really get rid of them. Other people, it makes them feel like, like they're failing. It makes them feel guilty and they're already feeling so bad about themselves to add anything to it is more than they can bear. So they, they legitimize their anger, they legitimize their bitterness, they legitimize their slander because they're scared inside that it's just gonna heap more discomfort on them because they're already feeling bad enough. And that's not the truth. A, a loving God sees these people in Ephesus, sees you, sees me, if we still have these traits, 
as his children, as his beloved children, that he wants to get healthy. If we've trusted in Christ, if we've trusted in him and we are his followers and we're following him authentically from our hearts because he has won our confidence, won our trust, then God is for us. He's always for us. And all he wants to do is bring us on this pathway to wholeness. Notice it's a pathway. It's a process. There's, there's progress. It's not an overnight thing. And God doesn't want us to feel bad about it. While we're in the midst of transition, getting rid of these things is a process, and it does take time. So we've examined a lot about uh, the turmoil that can exist inside of us. Now I want to turn the corner, and let's focus on experiencing the peace. So how do we go from inner turmoil to experiencing, actually experiencing peace? I, I'm not much of a gardener, um, but I do know some things by stupid experience. Um, the first garden I ever tried to, to plant, I, I, didn't, I was clueless, didn't know what I was doing. I planted a bunch of seed. The seed was good. The soil was good. I put it in little rows the best I knew how. And then I thought, that's it. That's all you do. And I just kind of let it go. And of course, you that are real gardeners, you know what happened. It was overtaken by weeds, and I didn't know what to make of it, and I quickly gave up. Here's the what place we have to focus. It doesn't matter how good our intentions are. It doesn't matter how good the seed itself is and how great its potential is unless you weed thoroughly, vigilantly, continuously, the seed, no matter how good it is, will not produce the fruit. What are you saying, Randy? I'm saying this. The seed, Jesus said in Matthew 13, is the Word of God. And the fruit that is meant to come are those Christ-like attributes that are the fruits of the Spirit. But the fruit will never grow, never blossom out, unless the seed has sufficiently clean soil to grow in. And that means unless I, you, we rid ourselves of some things, the good intention that God has for us, the peace that He wants us to experience will always be something that we don't understand, we never have. And the turmoil, the, the, the tumult inside will be unnecessarily continued throughout our lives. Real followers of Jesus, you know, forgiven, going to heaven, but unnecessarily, you know, tormented inside, never experiencing the fullness of peace that Jesus wants His followers to experience. So. I want to keep this analogy going, and, and I want you to picture something. And in fact, I'm going to have a picture that I hope works out that will be on screen for you. And it's a picture that should be showing now, if all works out. And it's a picture of a root, a tap root, which is the largest main root in most uh, plant systems. And then you have branch roots that spring off the tap root laterally. They're smaller, they're fibrous. There, there are multiple branch roots. There's one major tap root. We have to keep that image in mind. Here's the key to this, of ridding ourselves of these, these toxic traits. You have to go after the root, not the fruit. Our tendency is to go after the fruit. What do you mean by the fruit? I'm going to take you through a bunch of scriptures, and you're going to see exactly what I mean by, by the fruit. The fruit are these traits, the things like anger and rage and slander and all like that. Those are the, the exterior expressions, easy to see. But the root, the root is hidden. 
the roots below the surface. And you got two, you got two things here. First of all, you've got the tap root, the main root. Then you've got these branch roots. And unless we can surface the roots, listen to me carefully now, unless we can surface the roots, unless I can see the roots, I cannot eliminate the roots. And therefore, the fruit will continue to be produced even though I may hate it. I may not want the anger. I may not want the rage. I may not want the slander. I may not want the, the evil words and so forth. But they will continue to be produced unless I get to the tap root as well as the branch roots. We have to go after the root and the root system before we can get rid of the bad fruit. Now I want to read you a number of scriptures. Bear with me. And I'm going to start with um, the one that I started with from Ephesians 4.31. It says, get rid of all bitterness. That's a branch root. Bitterness, it's an attitude from which comes the fruit. Rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Listen to these words from Jesus in Mark chapter 7, verse 21. For from the inside, from your heart, there's the tap root, come Evil ideas, there's the branch root. You know, evil thoughts, evil strategies. From your heart come evil ideas which lead you to do immoral things. There's the, the fruit. To rob, to kill, to commit adultery, to be greedy, to do all sorts of evil things. Deceit, indecency, jealousy, slander. There it is again. Pride. Now, pride is more of a branch root. And after pride comes folly. When we're proud, we do foolish things. Jesus says, all these evil things come from inside and make you unclean. What, what did I say in this whole series? It is not what's going on outside of us. As long as we keep saying, persons, places, things need to change. If persons, places, things were different in my life, then I'd be so much happier and better off. We're just kidding ourselves. Happiness, peace, joy, the life of God in the soul of a man or a woman is the result of inner workings not the outside. Here Jesus re reiterates the same thing. He says it's what's going on inside of us that makes us unclean. Listen to these words from the book, New Testament book of Colossians. Paul writing to Christ followers in the city of Colossae, chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. He says, Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Listen to this next word. Rooted, rooted, and built up in Him, and firm in your faith, firm in your trust, just as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiveness. Rooted, rooted in Christ. Now, here's the thing. You have a taproot in your soul. I have a taproot in my soul. That's the big, central, nutrition-drawing root. Here's where this gets critical. What is the taproot in your soul, my soul, actually connected to? What am I rooted to? And we're all either rooted to Christ our Creator in actuality, or we are rooted to the God of this age, the Scripture calls Satan, the, the great deceiver, the great masquerader, the slanderer of God and man. We're either rooted, you say, Randy, how can somebody be rooted to Satan? Well, it's easy, you see. The Scripture says that until we come back to the place where we see God as He really is, as He's revealed in Christ, and He wins back our complete trust and our authentic adoration and affection and allegiance. Until that happens, we embrace a picture of reality that is the product of being born into this 
age that we live in, this world that we live in, that is an age where there's sickness, sorrow, pain, and death. The only things we know for sure is this. I'm alive today. I don't know how long I'm going to be alive, and I can experience some pleasure. So as long as I am alive, I'm going to get as much pleasure as I can, any way I can, as long as I can. We are driven through life desperate, and that leads us to sin. It leads us to hurt ourselves. It leads us to hurt one another. We lose control. We're fear-driven. The fear of death, it says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, drives us as human beings, and we're rooted to the satanic lie about life. Listen, most human beings are living their life like this. Anything I can't see, taste, feel, touch it, smell it, hear it, I'm not sure it's real. I, I don't know what happens after this body of mine ceases to, to live. After that, who knows? That's the way most people live. So we try to get all we can while we can while we're still alive physically. So we consequently live desperately. We don't know who we are. We don't know why we're here. We don't know what the meaning of life is. We don't know what's going wrong. We don't know why we have desires that nothing in this life can fulfill. We live in darkness, confusion, just seeking to eke out the little bit of joy we can get because our taproot is rooted to the deception, the slander of God as opposed to the creator, the designer of our, of our universe and of our souls, Jesus. And, and there are many that call themselves Christian. Let me rephrase that. That was too harsh. There are some that call themselves Christian whose conversion is not real. It's false. They think they've just made some sort of a business deal with God to get their sins forgiven and to assure themselves of heaven. Truth be told, they don't really trust Jesus. They don't necessarily like Him. They don't love righteousness. They don't love His will. They don't love holiness. They're just kind of wanting a, a good business deal. They want that elevator going up and going down, and that is a false conversion. That's a counterfeit conversion. Their roots are still in the satanic world. They really want that life in that world. They just don't want consequences at the end of this life if there are consequences or rewards. They want those. So. What, is, what are we rooted in? Paul says to these Christians in Colossae, rooted in Christ and built up in Him. Now listen to Jesus' words, John 15, chapter 5 or 7. The last night that He was with His disciples, He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Notice Jesus saying, you know, he, He's the ultimate source, the root source, the, the nutrition source. I'm the vine, you're the branches, talking about His disciples, His followers, those who remain in Me and I in them, will produce much fruit. There's the fruit again, the fruit of the Spirit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Disconnected from Jesus, not centering our life in Him, we can't do nothing. There won't be any fruit produced. But if you remain in me, and listen to this, my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want, and it will be granted, because we're only going to ask for those things that Jesus would want. So Jesus is telling us the way we stay remaining in Him, connected to Him, just like a branch to a, a, a vine, is by having His Word inside of us because it's through His Word that we learn His ways and His will. And when we welcome it and trust it and trust Him and love it, it starts to give dynamic change capacity, releases energy in us so that we can rid ourselves of these toxic conditions as well as put on, cultivate. It allows the soil of our soul to be cleansed of the weeds sufficiently so that the fruit of the Spirit, those Christ-like attributes, can start to grow. Some of us have been stuck in our growth, and the reason is because is we, haven't, we haven't gotten to the root, the root and the roots. 
of the problems that continue to produce bad fruit in our life. Let me read you one more. Jesus says this in John 8, 31, 32. He said, you're truly my disciples. You're really my followers. In other words, if, if, notice the condition, if you remain faithful to my teachings. Here it is again. We must embrace from our hearts. We must love it. We must trust Him and trust His teaching. We must want to know His will, want to do His will. And He says, if you remain faithful to my teaching, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth, everyone who practices sin, the person that's habitually practicing sin, in other words, is a slave of sin, but if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that if we see the truth about God in Jesus, particularly in His sacrificial love demonstrated on the cross, and it conquers my fear of God, it conquers my satanically inspired distrust of God. Satan's the one that slandered God, said that you can't trust Him, that He's somebody to be feared, somebody to be run from, somebody that's holding back from us. When we see God as He really is in Jesus, sacrificially giving Himself on that cross, when that wins my trust, my confidence, my heart, and now from the deepest part of me, I authentically love Him, want Him, want to be like Him, then the power of sin is broken. I no longer see sin as something enjoyable. I no longer see it as something desirable. I see it as something that is destructive to me and to others and that my God wants to save me from. When he says, rid yourself of something, Randy, I don't hear it in a penal judicial sense. Oh man, I better do this or he'll be angry at me. I hear it as a loving father saying, son, son, this stuff is going to wreck your life unnecessarily. You don't have to do this anymore. You can be free of it. When the Son sets you free, me free from sin, we'll, we will be free indeed. Meaning that the power of sin is broken. When we return to Christ in trust, we see sin as what it really is. It's not the spice of life. It's the poison to the souls of humanity. It's the poison to our society. It's the great destroyer. It's the cause of, of every heartbreak and heartache. So we've got to get to the root, the tap root, and then there are those branch roots. Now, I'm going to very quickly, I know I've gone a while in this message, I'm going to give you five common, what I'm going to call branch roots. These are, these are causes, deep roots that develop in our lives um, that cause us to struggle inordinately with ridding ourselves of these toxic traits. Okay? First one I want to talk about is something I call oppression. Some people are brought up in what I call in a, an oppressive environment. Uh, they're, they're, it's a very rigid environment. They feel controlled. They feel oppressed. They feel threatened. And they finally get to the place where they come into adulthood. And they're, they're angry, man. They're ticked. Nobody's going to control them ever again. They've got an edge. They've got a chip on their shoulder because they have felt oppressed for too long. The second common condition is hurt. Some people have been so hurt, they've been so traumatized that now they've gotten to the point in life where they say, you know what, I think Jesus' words are true. It's better to give than to receive. And they decide, I'm going to go through life instead of receiving the hurt. I'm going to be the person to give the hurt and I'm going to keep everybody back on their heels because at least that way I may not get hurt as much. They, they develop a kind of distorted coping strategy. They, they think, I'm going to dish some hurt since I've had some hurt that I didn't want dished on me. Third condition is one that I want to call um, people feel cheated. There are people that feel they've been deprived of kindness, of love, of resources, of attention. 
And, and this, this brings so much pain and so much confusion to their soul that it finally bolts from this weak emotion to a stronger emotion of anger and rage. And they feel like, you know, I got, I'm entitled. I've got something coming. And if I go through life angry and I have an edge, so what? I've been cheated most of my life. And so they, they have a struggle with this because they have this feeling that they've been cheated. Now, other people struggle with these traits inordinately because without meaning to, they learned how to use rage and anger and slander and these other things, bitterness. They learned to use them as tools to gain control of others in their life and to control their circumstances. Let, let me show you how easy this, this is learned. It's not like anybody intended to learn this. We've all seen little children throw tantrums, okay? The response of a parent to a child throwing a tantrum is very important in my opinion because what you see sometimes is the kid throws the tantrum and the parent rewards the kid. The kid, the kid wants the ice cream cone and lays on the floor in the store and screams and kicks and the parent gives them the ice cream cone. That kid has learned something. That kid has learned if I throw a big enough tantrum, if I stir things up enough, I can sometimes get my way. I can control people and things and this becomes a poison to them. They, they didn't mean it, but they learned a coping mechanism that they think is gonna make them safer and happier in life. In fact, it makes them feel worse. They feel more isolated. They feel, feel more disconnected. They always have to feel like they have to force everybody and everything that people aren't authentically for them. But it's something that, that we can learn easily along the way. Let me give you just two more. One I call this, I call it volcanic built up there there are people that all through their developmental years in particular they've just been internalizing things they have been feeling lots of things feeling lots of frustration feeling like you know they're being pushed and prodded and feeling like they never measure up and feeling like they've been put down and degraded and and, and all this just they, they kind of keep it together as long as they can but it's building up it's building up it's building up until now they are like a volcano and now the slightest thing can cause an extraordinary disproportionate eruption because they have all this buildup from years of just feeling that they couldn't react sufficiently. They couldn't figure out what to do, how to express themselves, how to defend themselves, whatever it might be. And so their bitterness and their rage and their anger and their slander, at least it gives them a feeling of power. You see, here's the terrible truth about these traits. They are seductive to us because when we are releasing this, this anger, this rage, this bitterness, this slander, we feel empowered for a short time. It's false, it's fleeting. It's a fleeting sense or fleeting feeling of empowerment. The second thing that these attributes give to us, this rage, this bitterness, this slander, it gives us a false feeling of having a mission. We're on a crusade. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna deal out justice. We're gonna deal out vengeance. We're gonna get even. We're gonna put people in their place. We're gonna set things right. It gives us a false sense of purpose. We were meant by God to be influencers, but our influence was meant to be the result of our love for God, love for people, our willingness to serve God and serve people. It was meant to be a different kind of an influence, but we get it confused. And so when people can use these things as tools, it starts to give them a fleeting false sense of both power as well as a sense of crusade or mission or purpose. And then finally, there's one other condition that 
is a branch root that makes it difficult to get rid of these attributes. And it's just what I call the spoiled kid syndrome. Some of us have been brought up in an environment where we literally got everything we wanted whenever we wanted it. We were told how wonderful we were all the time. We never had to work hard for anything. We never faced any failure anywhere. Everything came easy. Everything was given to us. And so now we go through life expecting everyone and everything to revolve around us. We expect everything to go perfect. We don't ever expect anything to be hard. We don't expect any setbacks. We don't expect any failure. We don't expect to have to work hard or struggle. We certainly don't expect any rejection or disapproval. And if we don't get our way, we have that list. We have the bitterness and we have the anger and we have the rage and then we slander and then we say harsh and evil things. So these are the branch roots that can fuel this, this toxic inner condition depriving us, depriving us unnecessarily of the peace that God holds out to us. Now, until we're willing to do the weeding, the good seed, the good seed of God's Word, the beautiful fruit of the Spirit, those Christ-like characteristics, and let me read you what some of them look like in that same portion of Scripture in Ephesians 4.31, the 32nd verse says this, it's after it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, the next verse says, instead, be kind to each other. So that shows that God's going to empower us to do it. Be tender-hearted to each other, so God's going to empower us to do it. Be forgiving to one another. You don't have to forgive somebody if they haven't hurt you or offended you. You have to forgive when they have, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. I want to close with the illustration, well, you might be thinking, Randy, what, what does this look like in real life? Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm there with you. I don't want these things. I don't want to be bitter. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to have rage. I don't want to be a slander. I, I want the fruit of the Spirit, those Christ-like characteristics, to be tenderhearted, to be kind, to be loving, to be sacrificially good. I want these things so much. I want to be like Jesus. But man, these things seem to be so rooted down in me. They keep cropping up, and I don't want them anymore. I want to give you an image that um, will initially discourage you a little bit, but I think if you follow with me, it will ultimately encourage you. Once again, I'm hoping that an image should be appearing on your screen right now, and the image is of an enormous ball of string. It's a ball of string that's in Darwin, Minnesota, and it was created by a man named Francis Johnson. And it started, he started this ball of string in 1950, and he continued to add to it for 39 years until 1989. And if you're seeing the picture, you can see this is an enormous, an enormous ball of string, way bigger than, than Francis Johnson. Now, here's the thing. Francis Johnson, in fact, uh, I found a little trivia for the first 23 weeks of this project, he worked four hours a day for 23 weeks to get the thing started. So, he worked for 39 years to build this enormous tangled mess of string. Some of us have lived long periods of time with these traits, these toxic traits, and now they've gotten woven like a ball of string all around parts of our soul. They, they, they feel like a part of us. They're so rooted in. We, we don't even know where to start, and it feels a little bit overwhelming. We don't want them anymore, but they have such a grip on us, we don't know where to start. I mean, it took Francis 
39 years to build this thing. Some of us, without meaning to, we've developed these traits for decades and decades and decades. And now a loving God says, you know what? I want to help you. I want to get you off that path of turmoil, and I want to get you experiencing my peace. But you've got to get rid of these things. And we feel like, wow, that's like trying to untangle this enormous ball of string. Imagine that if you and I had to go to Minnesota and start to untangle that ball of string. I mean, I think we all know that, that that's a bit of an overwhelming thing to even contemplate. But here's the truth. You could do it. If you were to go to Minnesota and start to untangle that ball of string, you would be well able to do it. It would be hard. Listen to me carefully because this is where, this is where the truth is going to make sense to you. It would be very hard starting out. It would feel overwhelming. Getting rid of these things feels hard. It feels overwhelming. It would be slow starting out, slow progress. You would feel like you're not getting anywhere trying to untangle this enormously large ball of string. But here's the cool thing. If you persevered, if you kept at it, you would start to reduce the size of that. It wouldn't be nearly as big. And here's the wonderful, wonderful part. It took 39 years to make this tangled, enormous mess. But the truth of the matter is, if you or I went at untangling it, we could probably untangle it in a very short time. Maybe a year, a few years, whatever it may be, maybe even less than that. Here's the good news. The things that have taken an enormous uh, part of our life to develop, we didn't want them, it just happened. But now God will empower us to untangle them very quickly. Here's the other cool thing. The smaller that ball of string would get, the more progress you and I would be making. So it starts out slow and feels overwhelming and challenges us to want to give up and quit. We feel like it's too hard. But if you persevere on, it gets better and better and it gets smaller and you're making more progress and the progress is easier and the progress is faster and the progress goes further. And all of a sudden, what seemed impossible, some of you need to hear this, what seemed impossible, it's not only possible, it changes remarkably fast. Now, when I say remarkably fast, that's going to look different for all of us. I mean, some of us, let, let's be honest here, we may love God and love people, and we may struggle with this stuff till our last breath. So I'm not trying to put anybody in a trick bag where you feel guilty, but here's the truth. As long as you want what God wants for you, He's for you, He's with you, He's, he's not discouraged when you or I falter, He's cheering us on. He never says, hey, you should have been further along by now, it's too late now, it's too late to start, it's too late to improve. He never says those kinds of things. He's always the one with his arms open saying, come, come on, come on, walk to me, walk to me. Yeah, you fell down, but come on, come on, walk to me. So. These toxic traits, the spirit of a loving God is inviting you and I to start to untangle that ball. We've got to uproot. We've got to get to the tap root. Make sure your root is in Christ and not in some false depiction of God, not in some flimsy bargain that you think you're working with God. And then you have to start working on the branch roots. I gave you five common branch roots that tend to develop in our lives. And yours may be different, but the Spirit of God will help you to surface it and see it. We have to surface it. We have to see it before we can start with His power to rid ourselves of these traits. I hope this has helped you. I hope it's encouraged you. I hope that 
it's caused you to be motivated to step onto the pathway to wholeness. Again, folks, it's a pathway. It's, it's slow progress, but it's sure progress because our God is with us every step of the way. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you call us to wholeness, that you promise us we can be. We can be the people that we want to be, the Christ-like people. We can grow. We can rid ourselves of these ugly traits that we don't even want. Uh, help us to trust you. Help us to do the work, to persevere. Help us to surface those roots that have to be gotten rid of, those weeds to the soul, and help us to watch as your beautiful fruit starts to blossom out in us. I pray that the person that's the most discouraged, the person that's the most uh, hesitant to embrace this truth, that your spirit will just whisper sweetly to their heart. I ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.